Aren't you tired of all these platforms? Try not for being able to find the content you want to watch and really honestly not being able to see the big game on Thursday night. Today, we talk about on Hollywood Breaks all the frustration of the platforms. Our special guest, Michelle Marks, gives us some inside scoop of why people do this, the type of creations and creators that people put together on a platform, and really some discernment needed to be a good content maker. So enjoy this episode of Hollywood Breaks. Pre-gaming here before this thing started. Um, it's we all were just kind of bitching about honestly where to watch programs nowadays. Keith, what was your story about the bar? You were in the bar last night. Uh, yeah, I was at the bar last night, and um, one watched the. I'm a guy I was with wanted to watch the football game, <laughs> and the bartender was like, "Oh, is it on ESPN?" And I was like, "No, it's on Prime Video." And they're like, "Wait, what?" So, <laughs> and we we ended up. They ended up turning it on. To, it was kind of hilarious because by the end of the night, they had Andy Griffith on because there was no football on and there was no sports. Oh, my on. gosh. So they were me? watching and we kept, he kept nudging me and be like, oh, I got Andy Griffith on the TV. And I'm like, wow. man, do I have that much gray hair? <laughs> I, I thought like, you were going to uh, tell me you were streaming it from your phone to the bar TV. <laughs> I almost pulled up my phone. Screen sharing, right? I almost was like, here, I'll give it to you. Get an Apple TV. That's what they should do is get an Apple TV and they could share. But I said they had Xfinity and I said, well, I can show you how to do it if somebody has a Prime account. And then and two guys came into the bar and they're like, hey, do you guys have the game on? And they're like, I can't Prime video. So they left. Yeah. So I'm like, this is like, <laughs> I'm like, this is the world in which we live where you can't now we can't get things. And it's like, uh, anyway, I completely agree. And I think one of the biggest struggles that consumers have in general right now is they just want to watch what they want to watch when they want to watch it. Yeah, where they uh, want to watch that it. convenience. But at yeah. the same time, when the game is on, you want to be able to have the convenience of just hitting a button, turning it on, and it should be there. Mm-hmm. And I think that you know things like live sports, live live programming, can still do really well on network TV, of course, because you can do just that. And people just want the convenience. Right. And with all the licensing deals out there. I'm not so sure that, you know, anyone's really winning when they get there. Hey, Amazon's got the NFL because they still have to pay a, a huge licensing fee yeah. for several years and then somebody else gets it. But to your point, Keith, you went into uh, a place where normally people would be very excited to watch a sporting event with a group, right. you know, with, with that camaraderie and they couldn't do it and they couldn't figure it out i just it is the only game on tv last night too right it was the it's thursday night football so yeah it's the only one you would think the only football game would be accessible it was that or utah state and byu on uh and which (laughs) (laughs) so michelle do you think it's do you think the convenience of our cell phone is like the frustration that we're feeling when we're when we have a remote control on our hand because that what the way you're kind of talking about the convenience mm-hmm. of one device that would do everything we actually have one we it's this big and if it's in our hand all the apps and whatever but when i get to my television the navigation is difficult or not difficult but you know it's more burdensome than your phone your the search windows i mean how much how many of us hate that search process of clicking button letter by letter. Do you think that's like, we're not really caught up with the, with our personal devices, right? Yeah. I know that on, on my particular cell phone, I have the remote control app. Yeah. So what you were just describing where you have to put in, like spell out the name of the show, I can just do it on my keyboard on my phone. 
Um, but it's those kinds of little nuances and conveniences. You can't just click a button, turn it on and turn it off. And there is something to be said about having those conveniences, just like you were in that bar the other night and the bartender, you know, should be able to flip a switch and put on that game. Yeah. Um, I think it all comes down to who I've been saying this for years, who the aggregators need to be because people also don't like paying for all these individual yeah, right. streaming services. So if you just paid one, which is basically going full circle, like you're back into a cable operator or a direct TV. If you just pay Apple TV, for instance, you just pay one price. It's all there. And everybody has it. So that yeah. is the new platform war is who they are. Yeah. And clearly yours is your choice is Apple because you're, can you sync your device to your Apple TV? Absolutely. Um, but that's yeah. like, that's like Apple trying to make a, a convenience from platform to platform in their yeah. brilliant way, but not all aggregates work the same way. That's right. And I think that, you know, there's an opportunity for a lot of these um, platforms that don't even exist yet to come in and say, we're going to be another choice, you know, mm. the most convenient and least expensive choice is the winner. That's the bottom line, because there are people who like the high end, high end boutique uh, gyms, right? And we'll pay triple the oh, amount yeah. of money to go there. And right. then there's the people who will pay for the convenience of it's reasonably priced, and I get what I need out yeah. of it. And it's not fancy. Yeah. And I think that that is the same factor in in streaming wars. I think that it needs to be available to everyone. Um, it doesn't matter what your shows are; it just has to be available. Yeah, it's interesting. I was having I just having a conversation with a former Foxer, um, and she said the thing that she struggles with a lot in this whole new you know because we're all trying to figure out because we all started basically at the same time and we grew up in this theatrical world and now we got the streamers coming in. She's like, she feels for like the creators as well, because at times they're like, before it was like, there was an opportunity for so many people to see their work. You yeah. know, it was the theatrical and then at the pay window, and then you go to the V blockbuster and you'd rent it or their DVD, you'd buy the DVD. And then it was on cable, the TBS or the Turner or whatever. And you mm -hmm. would watch it when you were flipping through. Now those days are gone. And it's basically like they get two weeks, they get, if they're lucky, they get two weeks in a theater and then it's immediately on a streaming service. And that's where it will stay. It will not, Netflix won't license out to like a Turner or what have you. I mean, yes, they've done, you know, the, the, the Gilmore Girls series, they've led that out to cable, but like the, for the movies, it's like, that's where they'll stay. And I, my counter to that was like, yeah, you're right. But they've also made this bargain where they get this big fat check where they get all this money. And I think the sports leagues, are also kind of playing the same game. We're like, oh, Amazon's going to show up with this fat check that's like almost 10% or 15% or whoever it was higher than ABC and CBS and whatnot. We're going to take that. But then the other thing is, are they really also thinking about the consumer and whether or not the consumer is going to be like, oh, what, what channel is it on today? Because first of all, we had adjusted like NFL network had Thursday night football and occasionally it was on Fox or whatever. Yeah. And now it's on Amazon prime. And it's like, oh, I don't know where to look anymore. It's like the consumer is almost an afterthought when it comes to sort of the idea of making it easier for them to see it. It's super unfortunate. And that is very true. The life cycle of your movie or show 
has changed dramatically. On the one mm-hmm. hand, if you missed an episode, you don't have to wait forever right. to catch up mm-hmm. or have to have someone download you. It's there. It's on Hulu if you missed it. Um, right. But the, you know, the other side of it is you miss the journey that a film mm-hmm. makes and yep. the experience that it makes. But there are, there are shows that benefit from the streaming. Um, series and shows from you know, 10, 20 years ago are popular once again because, because of, of streaming. Library, yeah. Because of the streaming. So depending on where, you, you know, the, how you win the lottery as a creative executive, um, yeah, think totally. just different, but it's still yeah. there because, I mean, look at Kate Bush and her song and Stranger Things. Right. I mean, what she did was pretty incredible and she didn't expect to have that popularity now to have the song of the summer because right. you know she was in stranger things um and now the music licensing deals for that have have changed dramatically like artists are realizing wait a second there's a possibility that i can have a second life mm-hmm. with something i created and that goes okay. for television shows and movies or you look at shows like um cobra kai right karate kid was a, an old franchise and netflix really did a great job supporting uh, Cobra Kai that they have multiple seasons of a, of something that no one ever would have believed when it first came out could have been a franchise. So right. it really just depends, you know, I call it the lottery jackpot of creative executives. <laughs> yeah, it's very it's true. true. It's the whole long tail uh, model that the platforms have. You could put a lot of content. It only takes a very few viewers for it to be profitable and it lives forever. So you can't have a 30 year old piece of content that's basically hidden for a while and then becomes pop culture for who knows what reason. Um, and then that's consumed by a large mass and then probably goes away for another 20 years or whatever, but it doesn't have or have to, it's not like blockbuster video where you have to clear the shelf and get the next top movies on. And so whatever is gone is gone. You can kind of keep it around. That's right. So I get that as a platform play. I think the, you know, as a creator, where you're now competing with everything everywhere all at once or whatever. So I have to compete with 40 year old TV shows and contemporary TV shows. And those that only took six weeks to produce and those that took six years to produce, like all of that's happening on the same remote control yeah, over across multiple platforms. Some that are hidden to us still, I don't, I'm, poor Peacock. No <laughs> one's ever turned on their Peacock subscription because it's the ninth choice down your down right. your um, mm-hmm. watch list. And I'm, you know, you're just, you hit number three and you're already burned out. You're not going to keep on bur- going through the apps to find the choices. Um, and that the consumer really is distracted, right? I mean, might as well just stick to your cell phone or might as well just turn on a video game and, and well, why, why mess with all this big content play? <laughs> yeah, just yeah. turn on YouTube, exactly, and just type in what you want. Boom, there it is. <laughs> and, that's, and that's the other huge factor in all this, that a lot of people would just prefer to watch user-generated content than these beautifully curated shows and movies um, because it's easy, it's fun, and it's, it's very accessible and makes people feel like, well, I could do that. They're just like me. It's comforting. Yeah. Yeah. So if you have a, a preference, like I like the idea of an aggregator, what do you think the top items you're looking for? What would be the ideal aggregator? What what should have, how would we access it? Maybe even who should compile it? Is it, is Netflix the right people to be the aggregator of all things? I think that um, the aggregators are really the ones that have the hardware in the home. 
Um, it could be built into your TV. Like now when you go to Best Buy or whatever, whatever place you go to get your set, if it's built in, um, whoever that is. So, you know, Apple's done a great job in getting the hardware in the house. We all have a phone. We, many, many of us, not everybody has an iPhone, but we all have the laptops and the phones and the, they've been great just getting the hardware in. Um, and whether you're watching Apple TV Plus is another story. It's you have access to everything else. I think, um, you know, Disney has done a great job in terms of having the services all bundled together. They have their Disney library for all the kids' movies, which makes it a must-have. But what they don't have are um, hardware in the home. So I don't know if they're going to be willing to go into an electronics business. Um, I always thought that um, when I, I always thought that Sony was poised to, you know, step up and do do that if they wanted to, because they are an electronics company first and an entertainment company second. They okay, amazing, right? Work. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> when you look back at that. We all probably had it, or no people, or our parents had uh, those Walkmen before there were, you know, the iPods, right. um, and they were at the forefront of blending entertainment and electronics together. And I just never understood hmm. why they didn't manufacture televisions that had the capability to have it already built in. Yeah, I'm going to say they won the VHS war. I think that was their yeah. technology that was, yeah. I really it was JVC, but Sony stepped up so fast with VHS over beta yeah. that it really got them into the entertainment game completely. And yep. it is inter so interesting when the corporations just stall. They're not, they don't capture the next evolution. Yeah, they stall, right? It's so interesting. They stall and they are priorities. You know, there's a lot of things that that company has that's also really interesting. They're really involved in like medical electronic stuff. Um, they, they're obviously involved in all of the PlayStation stuff. But again, those PlayStations are hardware that's yeah. already in people's homes that you could have been streaming through. Yeah, yep. incredible. To me, I feel like that would have been, and this is all in its infancy. It can, it could still be, you know, happening for all I know. Right. Um, but I feel like they're a great example of hardware in a home with PlayStation, with televisions could easily be built in. Um, I think that a company like Roku is another great example of, you know, very, um, lower out of pocket for people who want affordability and accessibility. Um, and th that's built into TVs as well. And again, it's in its infancy. So I think that it, it's just going to be a matter of who is smart enough to get that hardware in the home in a very cost-efficient way will ultimately be the winner. Yeah, I think it's Roku. I'm going to put my dollars on Roku because they've snuck into our, all of our homes through our TV sets. Yep, Correct. very quietly. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. they've done what Sony should have done. Yeah, and exactly. Poised to really um, set themselves up to have like a great pipeline for product as well as available access for consumers to get all the other um, services that they're subscribing to if they were an aggregator. Yeah, I mean, it's interesting because I, I, like you, Michelle, I have Apple TV and I also use the Apple TV app yeah. whenever I'm trying to figure out because my kids are all constantly asking me for this. Can we watch this? Can we watch that? And I'm like, I got to right. see if I have it on the million streaming services I'm subscribed to. Right. And I, I, you can do that. And Apple does like allow you to search and then you click on it. And then 
it, it's difficult because you have to really read the fine print to find out where exactly you can watch it. Mm-hmm. But they have, they already have the sort of software in place. If they would only just make it a little easier to find, like if you had like Apple had like a what to watch icon yeah. on their, on their platform and you just click it, type in what you want to watch and then it'll tell you where it is and make it pretty obvious yeah. what service it's TV on. Guide. Everybody that would, needs- yeah, that's, that's all it is. It's just a TV guide. It'd be crazy if like an Apple device somewhere had like a voice activated system and you could say something like, Hey, hey Apple, what should I know, watch? Whatever. <laughs> yeah. What should I watch? And it would, yeah. it would be crazy if they would just invent that, that voice activated part of, uh, I'm just kidding. Obviously being sarcastic. It's crazy. Like it's, we ask our phone all the time questions. Why can't we w- ask the phone, what should I watch tonight and have it yeah, and like, here's what's premiering on all the services tonight, you know, and just <laughs> and it just pops I, up. I mean, I know a lot of television remotes have the voice activation where you say, you know, puts get me CNN, CNN, yes. and it just automatically pops in. It's that technology exists. It's just oh yeah, the rationale of why isn't you have to ask yourself, technology exists, so why isn't? Apple doing it. Well, I know um, when we did, when we were working with Comcast, Keith, uh, that yeah. their whole platform and their search and their voice search actually was was pretty amazing because it was searching all of cable television, all all digital possibilities and mm-hmm. giving you results. So the Comcast spectrum of information that they can pull together with one quick search, it's just that who's thinking of Comcast as a solution? They're not putting themselves out there as a solution like the other platform. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I think their their platform, their UI was amazing, is amazing. Now, when we were yeah. working with them, I thought X1 was beautiful. I was jealous because at the time I had Verizon BIOS, which looked terrible. And then you had this beautiful, seamless X1 platform and it had the voice remote and it was all so like, it was just really well done. And then you'd go over to the technology center and they would walk you through things that you didn't even know it could do. And it was yeah. like, wow, this thing's really cool. And it seems like to me, because they had that opportunity, they have those little boxes. They they have gotten sort of into the technology world and the product world, but it's just like, they're not leaning into it enough. Like they could have an opportunity because they provided people these little boxes where you could, Yeah, it was basically like their version of Roku Yeah, and you could get, you could get like wireless but then you could also get peacock for free and then you could download all your other apps and it's interesting to me that they see the app on your phone the app on your ipad still work. right yeah and they do have what and they have wireless too that's the they other thing like a forget. version of genius bar almost in their stores too so if you yes. don't understand it your mom can go in and yeah ask them the questions and figure out how it works so really they overall is a platform but i never considered them i keep thinking it's amazon versus netflix I think they're doing. They're just trying to do too. I think they're almost doing too much. Yeah, yeah. That they've forgotten how to sort of focus on what they do well, which I think their product development is phenomenal, and what they did with X One was phenomenal. And I'm like, okay, guys, keep going. What's next? Come on, you can't stop here. Yeah. You know, you got you. You've hooked me with your platform. Now, how do you make it better so it can be like my one stop shop? So what do you guys think? How do you think this impacts the creators? So let's say I'm, I'm making a show because this has to be part of the calculation, right? And you know, we often kind of bag that the theaters aren't a great place to watch movies. The theaters, <laughs> ex- theatrical experience has its own struggles. Um, yep. The community part of it's great. Just the theatrical experience, uh, the theater chains aren't really keeping up with some of the 
human requests that would be nice and luxurious um, <laughs> that you get from your house. Um, but so if you're a creator and you're thinking, okay, I'm making a film, do I go to a theater release and then maybe a general release and a platform picks it up? Or, you know, if you're, if you're making it, you start having a target of which platform do I choose? How will the distribution work? Will, ever, will someone ever find it? Will Peacock pick it up and then no one will ever see it? Like, isn't the the creator really has some things to navigate as well? I don't think that the creator necessarily has a say anymore uh, where their product is going to run. I think unless you're a very high profile creator, I think that creators are excited to have their work made. But the sad and scary part is, to your point, they don't necessarily know where it's going to run or who's going to see it. And um, I, I teach class at NYU and I always say it's a film and marketing and TV series marketing class. And I tell all the students, you know, there's four key questions when you're marketing a movie that you, or a series or really any product, you know, why are we making this? Who's it for? How is this supposed to make me feel? And why now? And when you look at those four questions, it's, you know, a marketer doesn't necessarily get to decide why was this movie made. A filmmaker or a TV producer does, right? How often, Keith, did we sit there and go, who thought this was a good idea? <laughs> yeah, <right. Yeah. laughs> but the reality is, you know. What peyote were they smoking? <laughs> so, you know, you were now given a green light to make your movie or your series or your whatever it is. And the reality is you're so grateful that you have this opportunity to tell a story. But now, depending on the story that marketers feel they're going to tell, it's the story of your story, uh, will determine how it gets promoted and where it actually exists. Yeah. So you don't know if you're going to get a theatrical run. You don't know if you're going to get, oh, yeah, we thought it was going to go theatrical, but yeah, it's not tracking that well and we can't really, we don't think it's going to do enough business in theaters. So instead we're going to, we're going to sell it to Netflix who, so we're going to, we're going to make our money and then it's really up to Netflix to decide how they're going to support it and what makes sense for them. Are yeah. they going to bundle it with genres? Um, I think it's very difficult for creators these days to um, know, you know, what, what they're making and who they're making it for. They have an idea mm -hmm. of who it's for, but unless it's a big blockbuster Marvel or a franchise type thing like Harry Potter, Lord of the Rings, um, getting a theatrical run is tough. It's tricky and, it, sure. and it's hard for the theater distributors. And I think it's also hard for consumers to justify going to the movies for certain movies if it's not a shared experience because they're having those shared experiences in their home now. I think Michelle's absolutely right. I think it's, it's a point I alluded to earlier where it's, they're just happy to get the check to get their work made. Yeah. But part of me is also thinking like with COVID and what Christopher Nolan went through with, um, with his movie at Warner brothers and, you know, him jumping ship after decades with Warner brothers and running the universal because he just guaranteed a theatrical release and no one was going to farm it off to, to a streaming service. Um, I think what we're going to see, and I, I witness this a lot to the, you know, when I was, when we were working at Fox, when I started at Fox, it was sort of like, we just kind of had, we could do whatever we wanted, basically. And the filmmaker was happy just to have, the producer or the creator was just happy to have their product made. But then as they started to realize that marketing 
particularly the trailer, TV spots, the campaign overall, and how much that affected whether or not they got butts in the seats. Then you started having like cons- consulting, cons- consults is what we called it, being put into the actor and, and the creator's contracts where they had to see what the plan was, where they had to review the trailers and the TV spots. And I think what we're going to start to see with the advent of streaming is there's also going to be a consult. Where is my movie going? Where are you going to put this? What is the release plan? How many weeks are you going to put it in theaters? If they're like, oh, I won't, we're only going to do two. Like, well, wait a minute. I don't want to. Like, I think like in the early negotiations of where movies are going to go, it's going to start with, okay, I want a theatrical release for release. I want a guaranteed five weeks release or a guarantee in theater release. I think you're going to start seeing those conversations start to bubble. You've already seen them with people like Christopher Nolan who already have that sway right. and a Ridley Scott and what have you. And, you know, Martin Scorsese and all these big heavyweights. But I think as everyone starts to realize much like they started really wanting control over marketing, which of course drove us all crazy, but now they started to appreciate how important it actually was. Now they're going to have even more appreciation for the distribution strategy behind their content. So I think that's another, another thing that's going to start quote unquote to break and we're going to start to see that shift. Yeah. And I think the key to all of that is the awareness to let people yeah. know that it's out there and how you meet people is also really difficult because a lot of these platforms will only promote their own, their own initiatives um, and spending money to promote the initiatives off their platforms, off their channels um, is a big investment that they have to be willing to make. And not every series or movie um, warrants that from their opinion. They can spend no money or just do social and get the same results as if they spend a lot of money. So it's, it's you know, very difficult to decide and assess. And I think that that is uh, a challenge that uh, marketers face and that filmmakers and producers of shows face. So yeah, the, the class I teach about making TV shows, really, but making content is the idea of starting with the why, right? And when you understand why you're making what you're making, who that relates to, where those people exist, then the gap between what you're making and what's going to be su- successful is con- completely shrunken down to, oh, I know who my buyer should be. I know who my watcher should be. I know who the advertisers that will um, that would pay to be advertising on this show. Um, and you can just get the the gap between the knowledge of what you're making and who's going to watch it and what's going to be successful to be very small. I also think though, to what you said, it's also a little bit of a gamble too, because there's a lot of content out there that the things that you've maybe loved the most in the last few years are stories that you never would have thought they're original and you never would have thought would be your favorite things to watch. Um, I look at the Queen's Gambit. I never would have thought I would have loved and enjoyed a series so much about, you know, a young woman finding solace in chess. <laughs> <You know? Right. laughs> I mean, you think about it that way. Right. Um, you know, or, or Squid Game. If someone had described what that was to me, I don't know if I would have been that excited about it, but that was... Or even Ted Lasso. Ted Lasso came out of nowhere. And, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Totally. So I think that, you know, there is a, a guarantee when you say, you know, why are we making this? And, you know, who is it for? That makes people feel good about their choice in investing in that project. But what about all those projects that are 
you know, valuable and unique stories that you have to hope that the, you know, that there are still going to be platforms out there that are willing to take a chance on those artists because that's where all the great stories come from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, if you, professionally though, you you know, that's like winning the lottery. There's so yeah. much content. You know, my my favorite joke is a Seinfeld joke where he says, "Listen, the My Pillow TV show has got to be one that people watch, otherwise it wouldn't be on TV." And you're like, "You're right. The guy, the guy that sells the purple mattresses is on TV all the time. It, it must be working as a television show, or it wouldn't continually be aired, right?" Right. So you get this idea of like content is everything from infomercials to you know shows that people just have on the background to write these one-off pop culture events that you just feel that, that unicorn is awesome when it's discovered but there's no way you can say i'm going to make the unicorn when you start, first start writing the the script like no you got to be making content that people watch and it's also about that emotional connection that people have with those respective shows and movies how it makes them feel if it makes them feel better about themselves because they see that train wreck happening on TV. That's why a lot of those shows work. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Right. Exactly. Cops. Cops. Cops is still on TV. So we're, we're like, what's going on? Yeah. Yeah. It's so fascinating. Is it like the, the evolution of the industry that we've been part of where very limited choices, um, you know, celebrities were being basically ordained, somewhat controlled, easy to kind of pick out. The platforms were programmed and that was it. Very static. 26 episodes were required in order to make a show and so on. So now it's, you know, distraction everywhere, multiple platforms, multiple viewing services, types, reasons you're going to watch content, different lengths, a four minute YouTube video or four hour film, you know, on the same device. There's so much more to navigate, but it also is the same. Uh, breakthrough that's giving us the opportunities to make anything we want to and to find an audience. Uh, even Hollywood Breaks has an audience through this technology platform that no one would have given us a chance to make this content if we were waiting for someone to, to, uh, to say, yeah, make, make this show. Yeah. <laughs> Very true. I also think that a lot of the people who are behind the scenes, the camera operators, the production people, there's, there's an art that's being lost because mm. those people can't make the kind of money they used to make when you point out 25 or 26 episodes a season is enough to earn money for the whole year. When you have 10 shows and you're not sure if it's coming back, you don't get all your union and benefits and you're losing the people who are really great at their craft, their behind-the-scenes yeah. craft. That is getting lost in all this content, I think. That's why we call the show Hollywood Breaks. It's like Hollywood break is in. breaking, and you can, but it also gives you a chance to break in. Break like in. there's, yeah. there's the the both sides of this equation, and this shift is something that you're going to have to navigate. You're going to have to understand, and that's why we like the inside scoop, and that's why we like to have you on, Michelle. Give us an inside scoop. Tell us from a professional point of view how to really do this and do this well, and get your opinion. So, thanks for being with us today. We appreciate having you on. Well, thank you. It's always fun chatting with you guys. Yes, always appreciate fun. it. Always, always fun. fun. Is it always fun? Yeah. I think it's, it's always, always fun. fun. Chatting with Come Keith. on, we're fun. <laughs> uh, it's always fun chatting with Keith. I don't know about you, Tim. <laughs> yeah, so thank you. I appreciate it. <laughs> ah, nice. Score one for Keith. <laughs> I see how it works. I see how it works. All right. We'll see you next time, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thanks again, Michelle. Thank you for having me. Take care. Of course. Take care. Bye.